sisters in Christ, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. We'll be looking tonight at verses 10 through 17. And as you turn there, just allow me to thank all of you for your prayers for me as I went through the trials of licensure. I hope to, that I'm standing before you as an example of how the Lord answers prayers. Uh, our text tonight is taken from uh, is taken from a well-known passage, a passage that contains the prophecy of the virgin birth. Uh, Handel includes this verse in his wonderful work, the Messiah, and we sing it several uh, on at several occasions throughout the year. Uh, however, there are some truly difficult and hard to understand things here. And I can understand and sympathize the Ethiopian eunuch's dilemma. Isaiah is hard to understand. Uh, But I have modest goals for the sermon tonight. I I hope to remind us that our Lord God is mighty to save, uh, that He is sovereign in salvation and and faithful to keep His promise. He pursues us with His awesome love. There are many things in this passage that are high beyond imagination, and so I ask you to please come with me and let us pray for the Lord to help us to understand. So please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, you have given us this word that is your word, and therefore it is true. It does not change. It cannot fall short. And even as we Gentiles here gathered in your name in Douglasville, Georgia, even as we call upon the name of Christ, we call upon the assurance, the promise that your covenant is fulfilled, that our salvation is complete. Father, tonight I pray that through the foolishness of preaching, you would be pleased to remember your covenant, to edify the brothers and sisters gathered here. We pray that our worship would be acceptable in the name of Christ. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. If you are able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word, and I will begin in verse 10 of chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you would weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is the reading of God's word. Grass withers in the flower phase, but these words will stand forever. Please be seated. A fascinating genre of films is films about court cases. Some of the best lines and plots come from movies like this, such as You Can't Handle the Truth. Uh, They're uttered in films like this, and they stick with us. Justice at stake, truth searched for, crimes dealt with, and the innocent vindicated. And I think these genre of films stick with us, and they're so popular because written on our hearts is a desire for justice. Even though the image of God is marred and twisted by the fall, we still desire justice unless we are the offender. Well, tonight our text is taken from the middle of a divine court case. 
God is the judge, and justice will be done. But we are the offenders, and we can't handle the truth. So please bear with me as I bring us up to speed in the book of Isaiah. In chapter 1, the Lord is standing in judgment over His creation, even over His covenant people. In chapter 1, He says in frustration, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. The children I have reared up and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My own people do not understand. Here the Lord is calling upon the heavens and the earth themselves to be a witness against His own people. It is not right that they should reject their God, for He is their master. Even dumb animals know who owns them, know where the food comes from. But Israel in their sin, they've forgotten the Lord. They have run after other gods. Well, in chapter 2, the Lord lays out their sins about how they're trying to keep up with the pagan nations. Therefore, in chapter 3, the Lord promises to be faithful to His covenant and bring judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem. In chapter 5, there's more judgment promised and woes pronounced against the wicked, but yet in chapter 4, there's, there's a glimmer of hope as a beam of light breaks through the raging darkness of divine wrath. God promises a refuge. In chapter 6, there's a glorious vision of the heavenly throne room of God, and Isaiah is called to be a prophet, a mouthpiece of God to the people. And thus, in the first six chapters of Isaiah, we see the court has been convened. The judge has entered, is on his throne, and now the processes of justice will take place. A sentence, a verdict will be rendered. Judgment, in chapter 7, has come upon Israel in military force. Two kings, Pekah and Rezin, two kings I'm sure you remember from our Second Kings sermon series. They're, they've been brought, they're bringing armies against Judah, and they're ready to wipe out the children of Abraham. Then Isaiah, the prophet, is sent to King Ahaz, the son of Uzziah. And why? Because in wrath, our God remembers mercy. The Lord sends Isaiah and his son to Ahaz with a message of comfort and peace. He says in verse 4 of chapter 7, Be careful, that is, more literally, be watchful. Keep quiet and do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. The Lord is about to bring, is going to bring about a marvelous redemption, a salvation of His people. So in the context of impending doom, the Lord has promised peace, and now He's offering a sign, a sign that we can trust Him. So let's first see of our text, our first point will be the sign of God. The sign of God in verses 10 through 12. Please look with me again at verses 10 and 11. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Something we should see right away is the surprising nature of this offer. This man who the offer is made to is not exactly a model king. In fact, he's quite the opposite. Let me remind us of what we find about Ahaz in 2 Kings chapter 16. In the book of the kings, the Lord gives his estimation of the kings and how they have ruled over his people. And the Lord's estimation of Ahaz is this. Unlike his father David, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his own son in the fire, engaging in detestable practices of the nations of the Lord that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. 
He offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places, on the hilltops, and under every spreading tree. This is a wicked man, and yet to him the Lord is pleased to show mercy. He has already denounced, announced the deliverance of Israel, but he speaks here again, and he offers a sign. Ahaz is not a king who's worthy of this, and yet our God is kind and gracious with his people. He does not hand them over to what their sins deserve, to their enemies, the, Assyri- the Syrians and the Ephraimites on their doorstep. No, rather, God is pursuing his people in love, calling them to come back to him, to trust in him. When Israel is at death's door, when their sin is ugly, that is when God, God has compassion. And why, why would God be kind to King Ahaz? Why would God be kind to this tyrant? It's because he promised. He promised, God promised that the saviors of his people would come through the Davidic line. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised that the king would sit on this throne forever, and this would be a son of David. This Syrian Ephraimite coalition has banded together to come against the people of God, to wipe out the Lord's anointed. Against the line of David, the house, the family of the Lord, the nations are raging against this line. And so they will be crushed, for they do not worship the Son. God will be an enemy to Judah's enemies. God will fight for his people because he promised he would. God has promised that a seed, a son, would come from this line to crush the head of the serpent. So the Lord steps in here, and he acts on his people's behalf. This coalition intends to nullify the promise the Lord made to David. They intend to wipe out the king, and they set themselves up against the Lord himself. So when the Lord offers the sign to this people, he's offering a cup of water to one who's just come through the desert. Israel desperately needs the sign. They desperately need a reminder that they can trust the Lord. They're staring face in the death, death in the face. Dear Christian, if you are here tonight, if you are one who confesses the name of Jehovah, it is only because God has pursued you and me. Like Ahaz, there is nothing in us that would make God promise us the salvation or offer us a sign. But the Lord knows our weakness. He knows that we need reminders of His grace. So He offers signs. Weekly, weekly, we come to the Lord's Supper. We come to this covenant sign of God's worthiness, of all of our trust. And brothers and sisters, how much better are our signs than the signs given to Ahaz? Judah was only looking forward. They were looking to with shadows, with a shadowy eye. But we are looking to the past. The Lord's Supper is pointing us, pointing us to Christ's finished work, to his complete obedience, to his sinless death, to his triumphal resurrection. We look forward to his return. Our God is the good God who not only promises salvation, but he leads his people through their weakness to faith and to trust in him. Do you want more trust of God? then let us avail ourselves of his grace that he gives through his covenant signs even here tonight. But notice also that God even allows, he offers Ahaz the opportunity to choose a sign for himself and for the people of Judah. God is here stooping to Ahaz's level. He says, I will give you a sign that only the creator God could give. The Lord is saying, whatever you need to believe, whatever you need to trust in me, I will give it. Ask it of me. Let the sign be as deep as the grave or as high as heaven. That is the lengths God will go to 
to secure his people, to win their affection. The entire nation of Judah stands upon the brink of destruction. They have sinned against the Lord. They have gone after other gods. Their own choices have put them right here. And they refuse their only hope. God is showing them mercy. God has promised deliverance. God is offering them the means to trust him. Whatever is lacking in your faith, I will provide it. But what is Ahaz's response? Notice verse 12 with me. Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz is refusing God's goodness. And notice he does this with false piety. The king's decision is that we're going to go our own way. And how is this not evil, wicked sin? It cannot be piety. It cannot be righteousness. How can it be holiness not to ask when the Lord himself commands you to ask? This is bold-faced rebellion. That is exactly what Ahaz is doing here. He's saying, no thanks to the Creator God. And in effect, all of Judah is culpable of Ahaz's response. They're all guilty of this king's answer. Thus, after hearing the king's wicked answer, the Lord laments for Judah, for the house of David, in verse 13, for the entire nation is rejecting the Lord. What we are seeing here should make us stop and examine our own selves. Do we see that it is possible to be in the house of God, in the upper echelons of of the church even, and yet be leaning on our own understanding, relying on our own strength, our own ability, our own wisdom? Do we see that we can call ourselves Christians and yet deny the name of God with our actions? In the name of faith, we can reject our Messiah. Because right here, when the Messiah is promised, God's own covenant people are rejecting him. And brothers and sisters, this is exactly what Isaiah will go on to prophesy later in the servant songs. As was mentioned this morning, Isaiah will say, the Savior of Judah, the very substance of this sign, he will be a despised and rejected man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. John's eyewitness account is that this, this is fulfilled in Christ when Jesus, the eternal word, came and his own people rejected him and did not receive him. So we have to ask, why would the Lord do this? Why would the holy God, the judge, have compassion on those who richly deserve his displeasure? The answer is found in the judge himself. God is faithful to his covenant is faithful to keep his word. And that is why we see this offer even to a wicked king. We must see here that not even the sins of God's covenant people can thwart his redeeming love. God is merciful because he will have a people. He will have a church that praises him. He will give a holy bride to his son. Perhaps, perhaps you are here tonight and you are struggling with some great sin. Perhaps you are like Christian in John Bunyan's story, Pilgrim's Progress, perhaps you are weighed down under the great guilt of sin, then you can take comfort here. Look look and see that God is willing to go to great distance, great lengths. God is offering assurance of his redemption even to sinful people like you and me. Right here we can see God is willing to give a sign to an evil people, a sign of his trustworthiness. God's plans are greater than our sin, and so 
that brings us to our second point. So please, secondly, see with me the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God in verses 13 through 15. Look again with me at verse 13, please. We've already touched on this a bit, but notice how the Lord characterizes Judah. Here he says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Here we see God calling his rebellious people wearisome. Perhaps some of you parents know what the Lord is talking about. Perhaps you labor daily in prayer and disciple your children to walk in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And yet, because your children are sinners, even like you, because of their stubbornness, they choose what is bad for them. Perhaps they go and do exactly what you told them not to, and they wear you out. How much more can we imagine that the Holy One of Israel, the perfect God, is wearied by our sin? How much more does God have the rights to be frustrated with our slowness? God has offered man a promise of peace. He's given, he has offered to man, man to give a sign that his word is good, that he is worthy of trust. And even the people of God are rejecting it. Man does not want to be saved. He does not want God's assurance of salvation. In and of himself, there is nothing that makes him turn to God. He does not seek after God. What a dangerous place to be. What a dangerous place Judah is in to weary the, the God who is slow to anger. It reminds me of a famous sermon. In the summer of 1941, Jonathan Edwards preached his most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. In that sermon, he uses the famous illustration for reality. Edwards says the reality we do not see as sinners is that we are like abhorrent creatures, spiders even, dangling over the pot of boiling wrath. Judah is abhorrent in their sin. Their sin is ugly in the sight of God. They have given glory to pagans, they, but they have all that is necessary for their faith. They have the very presence of God in the temple. They have the very law of God, His character. And yet they mock God to His face. And in our sin, do we not do the same thing? As children of God, we have access to the throne room of God. In prayer, we have the promise that our prayers are made perfect by the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us. We have the guarantee of Christ's rule, that He ever lives in us. He abides in us through the power of the Spirit. In worship, we're promised that we worship with the souls of men, just men made perfect, with angels in festival gathering. We have the blood of Christ to cover us. We have blessing upon blessing. And yet, how are our souls, even now, in worship? How is our meditation upon spiritual things? even during the Lord's Supper? Are we fixed upon Christ? Are we captivated by His glory? How is our fight against indwelling sin? In our daily lives, have we too wearied the Lord our God by returning to our old ways? Have we wearied the God who is slow to anger? Have we presumed upon His mercy? If you are like me, then, then lift your heads and notice verse 14 with me. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, his, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What is the Lord's response to our failure and sin? The Lord says, if my people will not ask of me a sign, then I will give it myself. In verse 11, 
the offer is a sign that could be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. There's almost a either-or choice. But now the Lord gives us a sign that is both and more beyond because this sign is to assure us that God is the Redeemer of His people, that God has the power to save them. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. This is truly a sign as high as heaven. Now I hope and trust that I do not need to lay out to you how children are made. And if you have children who do not know, perhaps you will have an interesting car ride home. But this is not natural. Virgins do not conceive. This is impossible. This, is, this must have a divine act of God. The impossible sign of the virgin birth is given so we would know God has impossible power to accomplish salvation. The impossible sign points to impossible salvation. That we should have peace with God. That God should forgive our sins. If God can cause a virgin to bear a son, then he has the power to redeem a people for himself. If God can cause a man to be born without sin, without the stain of original sin, then he can provide a perfect substitute to die in our place. This sign of the virgin birth is how God is both the just and the justifier, for that is who Christ is. He is the God-man, born of a woman, perfectly representing us as fully man, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit to be without sin. This is a scene in the divine courtroom where the holy judge of all the earth says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they are red like crimson, crimson they shall be as white as snow. Even though, the Lord says to us, even though you cannot save yourself, I will redeem you. I will call you by name, for you are mine. I will give you Emmanuel to perfectly live in your place and then to die in your place. For this is the kind of God that I am. This is a sign that is also deep as Sheol. For the Lord God comes that he might bear our sentence, which is death, to die in our place. Perhaps you noticed a, a phrase in verse 15, a rather odd phrase, that he shall eat curds and honey. Well, this is the food of the poor. The Messiah is born into low circumstances into poverty. So do we see that this sign points us to the fact that not even the sins of the church themselves itself can stand in the way of God's purpose, his plan of redemption? How great a love is this? His entire, his entire life, Christ's entire life was perfectly lived in righteousness because he, as we see, refused the evil and chose the good. He refused to disobey God. He refused to satisfy himself. He refused to test God, to make God grow weary. Christ, living among sinners, refused to gratify himself, to give in even for a moment. He refused even all the possessions of the earth when Satan offered him. But what was the good that Jesus did choose? Hebrews 12 reminds us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And in the garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus felt the terrible weight of all of our sins, the approaching wrath of God, bearing the weight of all of our sins, he chose the good. He chose to obey the Father's will, and he drank the cup of wrath. Dear brothers and sisters, let us see the sovereignty of God here. Let us be comforted that God did not leave anything of our salvation up to us. Christ 
paid it all. When we did not want to be saved, when we were dead in our own sins, that is when God was rich in mercy. That is when God sent his son to save us. Let us praise our God that he left nothing left up up to us of our salvation, not even the sign, but rather God bears witness to himself. He is able to pardon all of our sins and even dwell with us as Emmanuel. Let us thirdly see of our text the salvation of God, the salvation of God in verses 16 and 17. Isaiah has painted a picture of a, a humble Messiah, but a righteous one nonetheless. The phrase uh, has been repeated in verse 15 and 16. This newborn king will know the difference between good and evil. He will have the law of God written on his heart. He will be like a tree firmly planted beside streams of living water. God provides the king. Ahaz is not. The king of Judah currently cannot choose between good and evil. He cannot choose good and he cannot refuse the wickedness. But in verse 16, after promising a high, exalted sign of his power, God again promises to deliver his people. He says that before this child is born, the immediate threat, these two kings that are coming against you, they will be defeated, and God will preserve his covenant line. The promise of God will not be nullified by the raging nations. Instead, these two kings you are afraid of, Ahaz, that you are selling your soul to Assyria for, they will be destroyed. The Lord sees the desperate situation of his people. The Lord knows that the promised land has been invaded. The Lord promises again in verse 16 that these lands, the promised land will be cleansed of its enemies and they will desert the promised land. But then we come to verse 17 and we hear another word, a word of judgment. I hope it is a warning for us tonight. Because, Ahaz, because of the sin of Ahaz, because of his idolatry, his whoring after worldliness, there will be judgment. And the most chilling thing about it is, is God will give Ahaz judgment by giving him what he wants. Rather than humbly seeking the Lord in his time of need, Ahaz has gone after the king of Assyria. And you notice that exclamation there at the end of verse 17. In Second uh, Kings chapter 16, when these two kings are coming against Judah, Ahaz sends a message to the king of Assyria, and he says, I am your son. I am your servant. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria, from the hand of the king of Israel who is attacking me. In this cry to the king of Assyria, Ahaz is throwing away his birthright. He's throwing away his sonship, like Esau trading his birthright for a bowl of soup. These two kings will be destroyed soon. But Ahaz is trusting in his own strength, in his own plan. Ahaz is asking for the king of Assyria, and he shall have the king of Assyria. From this time on to the exile, there will never again be a true king in Israel. There will only be puppet kings, kings who have no real power. Assyria and Babylon will come, and they will rule over Israel with an iron fist. Ahaz's sin has generational consequences. And so the faithful remnant in Israel, the people of God, they need to hear this message most of all. Even though your earthly king right now cannot choose between the right and his, his right and his left, between good and evil, behold, I, the Lord of hosts, will provide you a righteous king. 
I will provide a king who knows how to rule in wisdom, in righteousness, and in justice. And he is coming soon. His birth is near. Now, this soon, we understand, is the soon of the prophets. Uh, It is not tomorrow, but several hundred years. Ahaz will never be blessed. He will never be he will never be blessed by this prophecy. He will never see the Messiah. This evil king, he will only see judgment. And why is that? It is because Ahaz never repents. He never trusts the Lord. He never accepts the Lord as his only hope of salvation. And yet this child who is born of a virgin is born for those who trust in Yahweh, in the covenant-keeping God. Here in our passage, I hope we see two options, two kings that we must choose between. We will either be trusting in the sovereign God who has all authority even to bend the rules of creation to cause a virgin to to conceive, or we will be trusting in kings like Ahaz or ourselves. In the divine court case, all evidence is pointing to the sovereignty of God, that he is the God alone who can save us, satisfy us, and bring us to himself. These two kings, Pekah and Rezin, threatened to wipe out the covenant line. They will be destroyed in a few years, but God is faithful. He steps in to save his house. And even though he was rejected, God still provides a witness for himself. The angels will testify in just a few more years to shepherds outside of Bethlehem. Fear not, for in the city of David there is born of a virgin a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Right here in the face of imminent destruction of by violent warfare, the Lord promises imminent communion with himself with Emmanuel, with God dwelling with his people. So let me remind us that we must all stand in the courtroom of God. We will all call, be called upon to answer to the judge of all the earth. And either we will be found resting in his word, in his promises, obeying his signs of salvation, or, or we will be like Ahaz, cold in heart, rejecting the Lord's promises, cold in spirit. When the last day comes, will it be said that we refuse the Messiah with our false piety? Will it be said that we are found living lives of false, falseness and falsehood, claiming the name of the Lord while testing him, making the Lord grow weary with us? But if we are in Christ, then we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, If we are in Christ, we have the Spirit too, interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. If we stand in the courtroom of God under the banner of this king, we need fear no condemnation. For Christ, the child born to us, has secured a new sentence for us. Before we were guilty, vile, and helpless. But in Christ, we receive this sentence, not guilty, righteous. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have a more sure promise than Isaiah gave to the people of Judah. We have the yes and the amen to this prophecy. We have the Son of God who did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself of his heavenly glories by taking to himself flesh like us to dwell among us, to be Emmanuel. We have the assurance of our salvation with Christ's perfect life, accepted for our stained life. Christ did not continue in the grave, but on the third day, he rose, having done everything that was necessary for our salvation. So now the child born of a virgin is 
sitting on the throne of heaven. So how should the people of God respond when we face trials, armies coming against us, persecutions of various kinds? The people of God can remember that he has called these trials that we face light and momentary afflictions in light of the future glory that we hope in of dwelling with God himself. God has promised us promises such as he will soon crush Satan under your feet. God has shown himself worthy of our trust in this promise. How can we fail to trust him with all of the promises we have in him? Matthew Henry, that sage of commentaries, says of this passage, the strongest consolations in times of trouble are those that are borrowed from Christ. Our relation to him our interest in him and our expectation of him. And so if you are here tonight and you are facing trials of various kinds, then look to Christ as your king. See how much God loves you to plan your salvation before you were even born, to give promises and then to fulfill them. Be comforted. God has proven his sovereignty to bring about all salvation, all of our salvation, even through a virgin birth. But if you are here and you have been putting God to the test with your life, like Ahaz, if you have been making the Lord grow weary, then tremble before the Almighty God, for in the court, His courts you stand with no witness to defend you. And yet look and see that the sovereign God, this sovereign God, could be on your side. Repent and seek Him while He may be found. And likewise, perhaps you are a Christian who has been making the Lord grow weary through your repeated sin in your life. Repent and take this moment, even now, to turn to the awesome God who has promised He will receive you. See how far God has gone to show you that you, He is worthy of your trust, that He is worthy of all of your love and devotion. Surely He has proven His constant, steadfast love to thousands of those who love Him and keep His commandments. And dear Christian, you who are accepted in the name of Christ, you who have accepted this, ver this child of the virgin, born without sin, be comforted, be encouraged. God has given you more than just a sign of his sovereignty. We have the substance. No, no shadow, no prophecy calls for your faith tonight. No, the risen Christ, the child who was crucified, was born. God has been vindicated. Salvation has been accomplished. And it is God who calls upon us to repent, believe, to trust in him. So let us be those who are trusting in him, in his sovereignty to pardon all of our sins. Please come with me and let us pray. Holy Father, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far as are your ways above our ways. For we would not have chosen ourselves to be saved for there is nothing in us that is worthy of your love of your mercy of even sending your son to die for us and so father we are those who are most grateful and we praise you with all of our hearts with our whole being and father even as we stumble and fall we pray that you would be to us the same god who is faithful to judah and that you would reassure us of your love you would reassure us that you are our sovereign God who has done everything that is necessary for our salvation. We pray this in the name of Christ.